bow with me in prayer? Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, last Sunday, for most here, if not everyone here, we celebrated Easter. And we had just come through Holy Week when we talked about Jesus and going through the Last Supper and suffering and dying. And the message of the cross and the resurrection, which is probably something very, very familiar familiar to most of us, we've come through. And so... Sometimes, when we come to these post-resurrection experiences that you expect during this time of year, during the Easter season, it's like, yeah, we know that. That Jesus appeared. Yes, we know that. That's what the Gospel says. But sometimes what we miss is really what that means, not only for the apostles and disciples, but for us. And what it's supposed to mean for our lives if we really understand the cross and the resurrection, if we really experience the cross and the resurrection. I don't know how many of you caught it in the collect of the day, but I'd like you to look again in your bulletin. Look about halfway down, you'll see the word grant. Grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body. That is to say that you claim Jesus as Savior and Lord. You believe that he came and died on a cross in your place for your sin, and that he rose again to show he has power over sin and death. That's what you're saying. And then it says, may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith. Now there's the catch. Do we really do that? That's really the catch. That's really the question. I mean, we can say it. It's part of our creed. We can intellectually affirm, yeah, I believe that. But it really has little to no impact in our lives. And it's interesting that as we come to the gospel reading for today, that we find the apostles and some of the disciples still in the upper room. Why? Well, because Jesus had told them. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. He said both of those periodically throughout his ministry, and especially toward the end of his earthly walk, before he would go to the cross. But then it happened. And they hid in the upper room. They deserted him in the Garden of Gethsemane, then they hid in the upper room. And then, women show up and say, we went to the tomb, the stones rolled away, he must be risen. What do they do? They stay in the upper room. Mary Magdalene comes and says, I've seen him. What do they do? They stay in the upper room. Well, Peter and John actually take a jaunt. They run down to the tomb. They see that the stone is rolled away. They don't see his body. And then they come back and they say, he's risen. What do they do? They stay in the upper room. Are you getting the picture here? Then two disciples come back. They're on the way to Emmaus, the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. And what happens? They say he's risen. 
We saw it. And the apostles and disciples? Oh, you got it. They stay in the upper room. Right. Why? He told them. He told them that he would suffer and die. He told them that he would rise again. They have evidence before them, but they're not quite convinced. Do they really believe? Or are they still wrapped in their fear? Now, I don't want to be too hard on the apostles after all. In the Garden of Gethsemane, they did all desert him. So they're all deserters. But the reality is they just couldn't grasp it. They just couldn't get it. And actually, in some ways, they just didn't know what to do. I don't know if you've ever experienced some kind of traumatic experience or an accident or maybe an untimely death, especially of a loved one, and you don't know exactly what to do. You're almost frozen. You don't know how to respond. So you struggle, and that's where they are right now. They're in the upper room because they're going through this wrestling match of we want to believe, we want to have that hope, we want to know, we want our lives transformed. We don't like hanging up here and being fearful and doubtful. But they don't know what to do. So what happens? Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And then the apostles believe. But Thomas wasn't there. Now, all of the apostles and some of the disciples have seen the risen Lord. Thomas comes back to the group, says, we've seen him. What does Thomas do? Say, really? Okay, I'd buy this. No. Same thing they all basically have done up to this point. He says, no, unless, unless, my finger, my hand, I'm not going to believe. Now, you may not know this part of the story. Thomas, just a few chapters ago, in John chapter 11, when Lazarus died and Jesus stayed for a few more days, and then the report came that Lazarus had died, he was sick, and then he died, and they said, come on, we're going to go see him now. And Thomas says, oh, well, let's go die with him. But Thomas was willing to follow Jesus to that place to die. And yet, he's not willing to believe. He saw Lazarus rise from the dead. He's not willing to believe. And sometimes we look at these apostles and say, what is going on with them? And yet, we do the same thing. That we know the story. But the question is, do we really believe the story? Now, when we come to the end of this reading, you might have caught, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet believe. So we could use the out, well, we haven't really seen, so maybe we can just kind of hide in the upper room. John goes on to write, but these are written so that you might believe. So that you might see through the Word of God. 
So that you might see through the changed lives of believers. So that you might see God move in the world around us and be open and be willing. That if you really are willing to open your eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you're really willing to hear, that then you'll be transformed and you'll want to follow Him. That's what John's saying. Now with that in mind, I want to jump to Acts chapter 5. And the reason I want to jump to Acts chapter 5 is, if you say you're a Christian, you say you're a believer, then what you are living is now in the Acts of the Apostles because Jesus not only died and rose again, which they experienced, but then Jesus ascended and Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit's been poured out. And so... What they knew after Pentecost, we as Christians are supposed to know now. And what do we read in Acts chapter 5, the first verse we have? Now many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles. In other words, the activity and power of the Holy Spirit was present in the early church and is meant to be present in our lives and in the church. That's what's meant to happen now. That we're meant to know that experience. Did you notice what Jesus did when he came into the upper room? He breathed. It says he breathed on them. Why would he do that? Because breath represents life. If you know the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 2, when God formed Adam from the dust and he breathed into his nostrils and he if you will, came to life, it's the breath. Breath represents life. Most of you know Ezekiel 37, or at least you might know it when I say something. That's the valley of the dry bones. I could stand up here and sing, dem bones, dem bones, dem dry bones. I'm not going to do that. Really doesn't fit the service we're doing today anyway. But that's what happened. Life came into the dry bones. And at the very beginning, when God created and God spoke, it was the wind, same word, the breath of God that moved over creation and brought life. And that's what happened in the upper room. This room was deflated at best and lifeless. And Jesus came in and he breathed on them so that they would understand what he was about. He wanted to bring life. And then he said, peace. They had just experienced the trauma. They heard about the resurrection. He comes through locked doors and he speaks. How do you think they reacted when he first walked through the doors and spoke? I think they jumped. And he spoke peace into that because that's what God wants to speak into our lives the trauma, the challenges the struggles, the pain behind the closed doors of our heart and our lives God wants to speak peace into us Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 the peace that passes understanding that's what God wants to speak into our lives 
Sometimes we won't always get it or be able to figure it out. That's what God wants to speak into our lives. He wants to speak life and he wants to speak peace into our lives. And it's hard for us to grasp that. And it was even hard for them because they didn't immediately respond. Because as much as in many ways they said they believed in him in the past and they believed in him now, they still didn't fully trust in him. Until the Holy Spirit came into their lives. Think about everything that they saw of Jesus. They saw his life of love and holiness brought together. They saw his character and the confidence with which he lived and yet the humility with which he lived. They saw the Holy Spirit working through him and the submission he had to the Father that he did everything in total obedience and submission to the Father. That over and over again, Jesus spoke with authority and had integrity, which they didn't see very much in the religious leaders of their day, let alone the state. So they believed and they wanted to believe. But they really didn't trust fully. And mind you, Jesus never said, hey, when you buy into this, when you believe this, your life is going to be wonderful, cushy, easy. He doesn't say that. What he says is, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. The world hates me, the world's going to hate you. In other words, the world, that is to say, people who do not believe, aren't going to understand you. And at times you're going to face challenges and pain and struggles because of the world, because of other people who don't believe. That's part of the life. But what you'll discover as you walk it is my life in you. You'll discover the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You'll discover the peace that passes understanding in you even when you go through those challenges because that's what Jesus lived. And when he said he would send the Holy Spirit, that's what they would know. Once they experienced that Holy Spirit, once they really believed and began to trust, look what happened. Acts chapter 2. Many other believers came to the Lord. Acts chapter 3. God was working through them and bring healing and wholeness and community. Acts chapter 4. People began to respond with kindness and love and reaching out to others and generosity and willing to face the trials and the challenges because the Holy Spirit was in them. Because they knew, they saw, they believed, they understood. Life is different when you really believe. When you really see, when you really hear, when you really open your heart up to the Holy Spirit to bring that truth to reality in your life. The cross and the resurrection. The power of the gospel. Now, what happens then is, then you risk. You know, if you think about it, up until Jesus ascended and sent the Holy Spirit, who always was the risk taker in their midst? Did you ever think about that? It wasn't them. It was Jesus. Jesus was always the one out front. He was always the scout. He was always the risk taker out front. And now that he's gone away and sent the Spirit, now we are meant to do that. You know, think about it. Either your children or when you were a child. When you're learning how to swim, 
Someone's in the swimming pool there to catch you, right? Once your parents have told you about it, they've shown you, they've warned you, when you jump in, there's no one there. You rely on what you've been given. And we've been given the Holy Spirit. How about training someone to ride a bicycle? You know, it starts out with the training wheels. And then what happens next? You run behind holding the seat, right? And when the kid is on the bike and you first start running with the kid and you're holding onto the seat, they're looking back and they're saying, oh good, they're here. And then, where'd they go? See, we think he's not there. He's there. He's risen. We think he's not there and he's sent the Holy Spirit. He's there. And that's what the apostles began to discover after Pentecost. When they began to step out of the upper room that last time. And they said, okay, it's now time for us to step out. Jesus said, it's time to go out into the world. It's time to be the risk takers. And that's what they did. That's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. To be out into the world as salt and light and transforming agents like the apostles were. And you know what's interesting? We saw it in Acts chapter 5. But we didn't read Acts chapter 4 this morning. The apostles were arrested and warned and released. And guess what? Then they were arrested again. That's the picture we have today. And you know what happens after this reading that we haven't gotten to yet? They get flogged. They get whipped. And you know when they walked out of being whipped, you know what they did? They said, okay, we're out of here. This is not what I bargained for. No, that's not what they did. What they did is they walked out rejoicing and they said, what an honor it is to suffer for his name. What an honor it is to suffer for his name. Because now we understand what he did. A little more. Now we understand why he came a little more. Now we understand why the world doesn't accept him. We can't fully understand it because of who he is and what he's done for everyone. But they can't believe, they can't accept him. And so they take it out on us. And that's okay because we're now His body on earth. His church. Carrying His message to the world. The power of the Holy Spirit working in them. They didn't cower. They kept moving forward. They kept taking risks till all but John were martyred. And they had warnings along the way. Stephen was stoned, Acts chapter 7. James, John's brother, was beheaded in Acts chapter 12. The persecution rapidly grew. And they remained faithful. Because they knew the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. You know, I've, I've said this before and some of you have heard it. But I, my guess is many of you haven't. And it's something that was said to me probably 10, 12 years ago. And every time I think of it, it moves me. And I was at a conference. A number of clergy were there. And a man by the name of Bishop Kwashi from Africa 
was talking about the gospel and being witnesses in the world and living out our faith. And he said, we proclaim the gospel in the face of a raised gun. Americans are afraid to proclaim the gospel in the face of a raised eyebrow. See, because we're afraid. We're still in the, in the upper room. But you know, I love the line that Peter said here. Did you catch the end of the gospel reading? We must obey God rather than any human authority. We are still caught by human authority. But it's different now. At least in the United States, where things are cleaner. Because we're all nice people. What can't you talk about? Religion and politics. Right? Whose name can't you pray in in public? Jesus' name. By any other name, it's called peer pressure. And we so often succumb because of the fear. Because we're still stuck in the upper room. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of not being popular. We're afraid of being thought some kind of Christian maniac. We're afraid. And that's what Jesus came to release us from. That's why the Holy Spirit was given to us to release us from that fear. So that we could be that salt and light in the culture around us. So that we no longer lived, live with that fear. And we are confronted daily, if not hourly by friends and family and acquaintances and the media that try to pressure us in to fit into the world and its authority that says, this is the way you should believe. This is the way you should live. This is what's right. By whose authority are we living? That's really the question. And Peter says, we must. We must obey God. Rather than other, any other human authority. You know, I heard yesterday and read sometime this week about polls. Polls are so popular, the majority of Americans believe, the, immor- the majority of Americans think. Okay, but is the... Um, majority of Americans seeking to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and believe the word of God to be the word of God that's the question because that's what we're talking about do majority of Americans really believe that God wants to send his Holy Spirit into your hearts to free you from any fear that might keep you bound that won't allow you to go out into the world and to be Jesus to anyone you meet. 
to love with His love and live with His holiness and to speak His truth wherever you're called to. See, that's what the early apostles and the early church did because they trusted Him. This faith that we say we believe, do we live? Do we live? Now, what I also heard in the past couple of weeks, because, you know, you pay attention to the media and what's talked about around Easter time, is, well, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because if he didn't, then everything anyone ever says about Jesus might be true. And anything anyone else believes might be true. But if Jesus rose from the dead, how can we believe otherwise? If he really rose. Now, question. I want you to think back. We were in the upper room at the beginning of this sermon probably an hour and a half ago. And it was interesting, Peter was one who denied him and one who deserted him and one who was hiding in the upper room. And now, figure it out. A few weeks later, Peter's going to go out, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be arrested again, he's going to get flogged, and eventually he's going to be martyred for a lie? Is he going to do it for a lie? And he's going to get all the other apostles and disciples to agree with him for a lie? They're going to make it up? Is that what our faith is really all about? Now I can understand if it's going to get him somewhere, like he's going to end up with riches and luxury and security and peace and comfort and ease like we're all seeking. But if it's not going to get him anywhere, why would you lie? I mean, lying is a way of life in America, by and large. I hear over and over again in the media, on TV, in programs, even people in my office and my own children at times, the only thing they really regret is getting caught. In other words, the lie's not the issue. Because we're trying to escape the consequences. That's why we lie. Why would Peter lie and then face the consequences? Does that make sense to you? And to get others to agree? Does that make sense to you? Die for a lie? I don't think so. I don't think so. Not these guys. See, what changed them was the risen Lord Jesus. What changed them was the deposit of the Holy Spirit when He breathed on them, when He brought them peace. What changed them was when Jesus ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit so that their lives would be transformed and they would go out with power and boldness. That's what changed them. And the question is, are we that kind of Christian? Are we that kind of Christian? Are we willing to suffer for the truth? Are we willing to suffer because the world doesn't understand? Are we really willing to walk following Jesus Christ? 
Once again, think about children. You tell them. You show them. You warn them. And then you send them out into the world. And that's what Jesus did. He told them. He showed them. He walked it himself. And then he sent them out into the world, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Children sometimes obey, sometimes don't. Sometimes want to push the limit, try out the consequences, sometimes don't. Oftentimes, children, as they grow older, will follow their peers because they don't want to face rejection. And I wonder, are we still children in our faith? Because that's not what we're called to. We're called to come to Jesus as if a child. But we're called to grow in Jesus so that we become like Him. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and transformed in our lives. That's what we're called to. And as I close, I want to read two scriptures to you. That Peter and John would respond to the authorities. First, in chapter 4. This is the one we didn't read. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot keep speaking about, we can't keep from it. We must what we have seen and heard. And then we get to Acts chapter 5. It's even more. We must obey God rather than human authority. We see, we hear, we obey because we trust the cross and the resurrection, because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, because we are called to be Christians who walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and go out into the world growing constantly in Him. That's what we're called to post-Easter. Please bow with me in prayer. man who walked this walk by the name of Jim Elliot at one point was martyred for his faith. And he said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Lord God, you call us to give up the way of the world. The seeking of popularity and human authority. Of living for ourselves and compromising our values. And compromising our faith. And compromising our Lord. Lord, transform us as you did. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and send us out of the upper room that we would seek to give that which we cannot keep, which is this earthly life.
to gain what we cannot lose, which is eternal life. And to live with you and walk with you for all eternity. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your Son, for the cross and for the resurrection. As we leave this place, help us to be yours in the world and for the sake of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.